are these people and how does it work? Check out my column and all our email alerts at federalnewsnetwork.com slash alerts. I'm Mike Causey. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dan McCune, the Acting Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary of Enterprise Program Management Office at the Veterans Affairs Department's Office of Information and Technology. Dan, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. Today, we're talking about IT modernization, like almost every show I do with someone from the CIO's office. Specifically, though, we're going to get into this in a second, but we're really going to focus today on DevSecOps, the the idea of developing applications, developing services for customers, for citizens, for, in your case, veterans. But before we go down that path, Dan, let me just start with the basics. Let's, Let's level set. Let's discuss VA's approach to IT modernization more generally. I think about modernization kind of from three dimensions, people, process, and technology. And, and clearly, we want to start with people, our most important resource. So there's upskilling involved, and we've invested heavily in training our people on DevSecOps and product management. Um, but not just training, there's also mentoring, coaching, and, and um, enablement teams we have as well to help, because uh, we don't all move at the same pace, and, and, we, and we really want to do that. So, uh, and, and then another thing I find interesting and we're launching this summer is Guild. So there's a lot of training and a lot of content coming from from the front office, but I find sometimes the best learning is between peers. And so we want to enable that cross sharing to happen. So like Spotify does, we're going to be launching Guilds and and we think that's going to help augment our training. Next thing I look at is our process and particularly there are our SDLC processes. We were very fragmented um, in pillars and or silos of excellence, if you will, and particularly between development and operations, we threw it over the wall. And there's that distilling of information as, you, as it passes from one team to another, you, you lose context, you lose the architectural principles that were used to create that software. So we've really brought those two teams together and created a, a, a DevOps team. And we have a phrase called, you build it, you own it as a way to kind of epitomize our shift from from development and operations to DevOps. Um, And then I I think too, from a leadership perspective, I wanna reduce um, overhead and particularly administrative overhead and really kind of fall back to that core agile manifesto, which uh, where we prioritize working software over process and over documentation. So we've really seen, um, particularly in our, in our velocity, we've increased our velocity 400% in the last couple of years. And, and I think that our improvements in, in process have certainly helped that. And lastly, I, I would talk about technology and certainly we've made investments in cloud. And I think COVID really helped us reap some of the benefit from that investment. And, and I look at telehealth. Telehealth was something that we dabbled in before COVID. Now it's almost the main thing. And we were able to dramatically, exponentially scale up our, our bandwidth and our telehealth delivery. So that, you know, that was a, a sound technology investment. And then the other one is low code, no code. Um, and, and this really aligns with our strategy to outsource commodity work to our vendors. I, I want to focus our people on delivering business value. And I think we find in, in, in VA that traditionally we spend with, with legacy coding models, we spend about 80% of our resources on non-value add activities. So 508, security, hosting, patching, things like that, that really don't deliver business value. With low code, no code, we're able to flip the script. And we spend about 20% of our resources on those non-value add activities and 80% focused on delivering business value. So it's a great accelerator. Um, I think we're, we're able to accelerate 6X, our delivery of new software solutions. It used to take us almost 18 months. Now we do it in 90 days. Uh, so that's been a game changer for us. And I think really helped bolster OINT's modernization strategy. All right, lot to dig out there. I'm gonna take a half a step back. And okay. you dove right into the DevSecOps, which I appreciate. But but if you could just help me take a half a step back with the, the IT modernization more generally, VA has been on a path for the last 10, 12 years, really to not just move to the cloud, as we like to say in, in the IT world, but really change the way you serve veterans, serve their families, serve, serve the caregivers. When you talk about adding more value, what's the 
main goal, if you will, from a VA IT modernization perspective? So number one, we want to bring innovation to our traditional business problems, right? It's healthcare, it's benefits to our veterans, and it's a place of respect in, in transition. We also want to better align with our customer and their needs. Um, and I think some of the things we're doing recently in product line, you're right, it didn't just start now. We all stand on the shoulders of others who have come before us and laid the, laid the groundwork. So um, I, I think we're aligning with our customers and trying to meet their business outcomes. Traditionally, IT focuses on things like scope, schedule, and cost. Nothing wrong with that, right? But you can be successful in those three things and still fail to meet the customer's goals. So we are focusing on, on customer delivery and customer outcomes. Um, and I think you'll see that as a consistent theme. I appreciate that because sometimes it's important to take a step back because again, sometimes IT gets that, well, IT for IT's sake and where you hear, well, we don't do IT for IT's sake, but then well, then what do you do it for? And in VAs, it's the delivery outcomes and customer delivery uh, goals. You did a great job of going through the people, the process, the technology, uh, when we talk about IT modernization and, and DevSecOps. So let me start with the with the little bit of news you, you gave us. I always like a little news on the show, right? So this summer you're going to launch something called Guilds. Is that right? G-I-L-D-S? Yes. Talk a little bit about what that means, the training and content and, and really training among peers. So is it a, I'm going to go to this site and say, hey, I want to learn more about product development or software development. And somebody else will say, hey, I can teach you that. Help me understand. One of the traditional problems with content that comes from, from the, the front office or from leadership is leadership can put their own spin on it. They have their own goals that they want to achieve with that training. And our people have their own organic needs for information and for learning. And the other thing I find is no matter how skilled we are at delivering training material, our people need to understand it within context. How have you solved problems with the same problems that I have and the same parameters that I have? So Guilds is this idea that it's really more organic and driven by the workforce themselves. And so what they have is uh, they'll have topics, DevOps is a great one, or product line management or automated testing. These are all topics that they show interest in. And then they meet and they talk about those issues. And they talk about their lessons learned. They talk about some of the things that they've learned, some of their success, and maybe some of their roadblocks. Um, and they learn from each other. And it's not facilitated by leadership. It's not organized by leadership. It's really driven from, from the workforce themselves. And briefly, I don't know if this came from your office or from the bigger OINT, was this an idea that came to VA from the workforce, something that you saw somewhere else? And this is not just, I imagine, in the DevSecOps world, this is all IT or, or all parts and pieces of the OIT portfolio. What's great about guilds is it isn't restricted to any one team or one area. So it's kind of by invitation. If this is a topic that you're interested in, you're welcome to engage. It was driven by our leadership team as we saw a need for cross-training. So I will find, I have town halls with each of my product lines and I talk to them about what they're learning. And I thought I saw a great disparity between some of our leading teams and some of our trailing teams. And, and I saw this as a strategy to help level set um, and share some of those some of those best practices. I think it sounds like a great initiative and, and really, uh, as you said, it's maybe driven from the top, but it's really going to be organically bottom up, connecting people who have the same interests, have similar challenges, all online, I imagine, all virtual, at least in the short term. And because I'm sure you have somebody uh, at a VA hospital in Seattle can hook up with uh, someone in a VA hospital in Texas and they could create their own kind of learning pod. I, I imagine that that's the theory behind this. Yeah, we're almost uh, today, almost all uh, remote workforce. Uh, and, and, I, and I, you know, that, that's an evolving story as, as we all go through this COVID pandemic. All right, so there's plenty more to learn from that, and, and I will look forward to the, the official launch. Let's move over from, from people to process. And you mentioned SDLC, the software development lifecycle. You talked about, I love the phrase, you build it, you own it. It's not quite the pottery barn, you, you break it, you own it. But, but <laughs> help me understand the idea here behind bringing together the owners of the application and the builders of the application. I'll talk about the traditional problem and, and I use the metaphor of hand grenades and, and T-Rex arms, right? Development is heavily involved in architecting a solution 
and they know where all the problems are in that software. And it, when it comes time to put it in production and host it, they tend to throw it over the wall to operations. And because operations wasn't involved in the architecture, they didn't, they weren't involved in the requirements process. They don't have the deep understanding of the software and the purpose it was really meant for. So they're real hesitant. I talk about T-Rex arms, they're real hesitant to take it. And we get in this trap of, uh, we need more documentation. We need more design documents. We need all this stuff. It's never enough for operations to feel confident that they can own that product and maintain it. So really we wanna break that wall down. We want one team, we want a persistent team that's responsible for the life cycle of the product. And where that really starts to, to bring benefit is, is really those operational metrics. And if I look at you know, uptime, I look at response times, I look at numbers of tickets, I look at some of those things that are traditionally operational metrics, but if we put those metrics uh, and make those a responsibility of the development team, that changes the way that they do development. It changes the quality of the code. Um, and we end up with more resilient, more sustainable, and more scalable software. Dan, I want to continue this conversation about this uh, software development lifecycle and the, some of the changes you're making. But first, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue our conversation. My guest today is Dan McCune, the Acting Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Enterprise Program Management Office at the Veterans Affairs Department's Office of Information and Technology. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by GitLab on Federal News Network. Duo Security, now part of Cisco, is the leading secure access and multi-factor authentication provider. Duo comprises a key pillar of Cisco Secure's Zero Trust offering, the most comprehensive approach to securing access across IT applications and environments from any user, device, and location. Duo offers federal-tailored product additions delivering device visibility and continuous dynamic authentication with FedRAMP-authorized security controls at their core. Learn more at Duo.com. That's Duo.com. This week on Federal Insights, sponsored by Hughes Networks, hear Michael Duffy, the Deputy Associate Director for the Cybersecurity Division at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, talking about network transformation and modernization. Greater insight into what's happening on the network is truly critical. And, and, and we've begun several efforts starting years ago, and I know you've been tracking this through the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program, getting a better sense of the state of the federal interagency. To hear the entire interview, log on to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Hughes. Citizen-focused government means digital service delivery to constituents. The EIS contract replaces legacy networks with reliable, scalable, and secure broadband connections. And managed SD-WAN from Hughes allows agencies to utilize cloud-based applications with in-depth cybersecurity protections. Time is critical. Do not accept like for like. Ask your prime contractors about the Hughes Managed SD-WAN solution or visit government.hughes.com. C3 AI is solving previously unsolvable problems in mission-critical defense and intelligence challenges. Learn more at C3.ai. C3 AI. This is Enterprise AI. Bridge the existing with the emerging. When the competitive ground shifts, you need to be ready. With MicroFocus's enterprise-grade scalable software, government agencies are modernizing their legacy systems. With MFGS Inc., agencies are able to stay mission-focused and compliant with government regulatory mandates while enabling innovation through cybersecurity, predictive analytics, DevSecOps, and hybrid cloud software. Learn more at mfgsinc.com. That's mfgsinc.com. Wisdom served daily. Experience the difference of the journalists at Federal News Network. News impacting feds and contractors, plus Mike Causey's unique perspective on pay, benefits, and retirement. Subscribe to the Morning Federal Report at Federal News Network. This is Jared Serbu. I'm tweeting daily about the news that's interesting and important to the armed services and the defense contractors who serve them. Follow me at WFED. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by GitLab on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dan McCune, the Acting Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Enterprise Program Management Office at the Veterans Affairs Department's Office of Information and Technology. Dan, before break, we were talking about the kind of the three areas you were focusing on around DevOps, people, process, technology. We got to through people. 
Now let's, we've been talking, started to talk about process a little bit. You mentioned the software development lifecycle, this idea of if you build it, you own it. So you're bringing together the development and the operations folks. And, and this has seen huge benefits. You gave, offered some numbers, the velocity has increased 400% over the last couple of years. And then also you're, you're, you're getting things out the door, applications, development, new iterations more quickly. What about this process has worked so well for you beyond the fact people's T-Rex arms have maybe got a little longer? Traditionally, we used a waterfall and then, and then we call Agile, right? Kind of that hybrid between water and waterfall and Agile. Uh, when I came on three years ago, we had already started that pivot to Agile. And, and it was, I think, well understood that Agile was the direction we were going, but execution was was kind of trailing. And I did a benchmark early, early on to look at how fast our teams were delivering. And the target then was 90 days. You should be able to put something in production every 90 days. Only 22% of our products were actually delivering within 90 days. Most were much longer than that. And, and our, our history is, is really our customers know that they get one drink at the water fountain, right? They get one opportunity for software. And so they jam pack all their requirements into one and they expect the kind of that big bang approach. So it isn't just about IT, but it's also about getting our customer to think agilely. And really the key is small batch sizes, right? We want to, we want to package things up smaller. And, and the customer has to be able to take these big things uh, and break them up into bite-sized chunks. And so, so we had some evolving to do both, both in IT and our customer to get to where we are today. Today, over 80% of our products are releasing within 90 days and most are releasing every two weeks. And so that allows us, really the key is feedback, right? We want to get feedback from our customer early. We use the term fail, fail quickly, right? We don't want to fail, but it's better if we discover something that's wrong early than late. Um, and so certainly getting that quick feedback from our customer helps us to make quick, quick course corrections and quick pivots as well, like things for COVID. Uh, COVID came in and kind of landed on our plate we were able to, to pivot quickly um, and address the emerging needs of our customer. First of all, it's a great, in just three years, shift from 20% every 90 days to 80% every 90 days or within uh, every two weeks. Let's go down the path of talking about the customer because I think that's a key piece here. If the customer doesn't buy into Agile and DevSecOps, if they don't understand that, that iteration piece, I mean, I'm not getting, X, Y, and Z today, I'm only getting X today, and then I have to wait two more weeks for Y. They, they don't quite get that sometimes. How have you made that culture change specifically with the customer side? It's a, still a work in progress, but what we have been able to do, we've had some really big wins over the last few years. Many, some will remember Mission Act or Blue Water Navy. These were really, really big things that hit us with, with a short timeline, short fuse. Uh, Mission Act in particular, we had six months to deliver what would normally have taken us multiple years. And so our ability to deliver fast, our ability to, to kind of prove success at delivering short iterations has encouraged our customers. And it's been, it's been kind of a building story, a building narrative, and, and a build in trust, I think, as well with our customer. As that trust grows, as they start to see us more as a partner, and they, they understand and trust that we're bringing best of breed and industry best practices. The other side of the coin in this conversation is, of course, your folks who are doing the development or leading the development, leading the product or pro project areas, they have to understand, got to bring the customer in and then be patient with the customer, right? Because they're going to say, well, I saw this thing over here. Why can't we do that? And hold on, relax. Let's talk through why we need to do that. So how have you also trained your folks? I know you mentioned earlier, but let's go back around to that because they have to, again, I'll, I'll reiterate, be patient. <laughs> yeah, we're using product line management, right? And that really uh, is our shift from project to product. And it, and it gives us a roadmap to kind of grow the competencies of our team over, over a time span. And so what we've done is kind of given our teams bite-sized chunks to work on um, and grow their maturity. So first, the first thing we did was really start to mature that agile understanding and, and implementation. Um, and, and next we're focusing on, on some of our core DevOps capabilities. We made monitoring 
one of the first things we wanted our teams to work on and add into their software. That has reaped amazing returns. We're seeing a reduction in MTTR, mean time to restore, improve 58% in one year. And I directly tie that to the increase in our monitoring. So we're, we're having our teams build up their DevOps capabilities, and then we're starting to align them with business metrics and move them away from scope, scope schedule and costs still need to be tracked, but we want them targeting on the business outcomes and helping our customer achieve their goals. And then the last piece of that is really going to be the financial piece. How do we align our budgets with product lines? And, and I like to think of block funding, right? We want to we want to be able to give a product line a block of funding and allow them to prioritize how they how they spend it. I want to go back to what you mean by mean time to restore, 58% reduction. Help me just put a little finer point on that. What do you mean by mean yeah. time to restore? I mean when it goes down or what? The amount when it when our when one of our systems goes down, we have over a thousand pieces of software in production, right? And so something will go down. There will be problems and a system will go down. How quickly can you bring that system up when it goes down? And certainly there's a, a tremendous amount of triaging that happens when, it, when a system goes down, when a system goes down or has a problem. Monitoring helps us to kind of quickly zoom in on where that problem area is. Instead of a research project, we kind of bring the technical people to bear on the right part of the system early. And, and I think that's what we're seeing. So we, uh, we went from, um, 58% decrease in the amount of time it takes us to bring a system back up. Thanks for that explanation. I thought that's what I thought you meant, but just in case if there was another definition that maybe I was missing. One of the things that we talk about is, is when we talk about understanding the, the product lines and, and just doing a little bit of research, I know that there's seven priority areas, if you will, for DevSecOps, customer outcomes, metrics, visibility, workforce. Where are the product lines fitting into this? Are you looking at services to, to veterans, but in what way? So for instance, appointment scheduling is maybe one product line or, or what, like where do they fit into the discussion, the, the product lines themselves? So product lines are part of our posturing to the customer, orienting on them. Traditionally, IT organizes around technical pillars or technologies, right? And, and certainly there's an efficiency to doing that. But sometimes we, we sacrifice effectiveness for the sake of efficiency. So product lines are um, organizing around the customer. I'll, I'll use an example. So our GI Bill, uh, we offer GI Bill benefits to veterans to go to school, uh, is a very, very large program, very complex. And we found shortly after I joined, within my first 90 days, I was in front of Congress testifying about why we had missed a critical deadline in the software release for that for GI Bill. Um, so there was a lot of triaging and, and kind of uh, uncovering what happened and what went wrong. We found that we had eight different teams, 23 different products, all supporting one customer, right? The GI Bill customer. And so we grouped those eight teams and 23 products into one product line. So I have a product line manager looks across at the business program manager on the GI Bill side, and we got one person uh, on each side and, and one person accountable. That's allowed us to do amazing things for our customer. So again, I, I mentioned that we're focused on business outcomes and they measure success based on claims processing efficiencies. So they get a lot of claims for GI Bill benefits. We were able to improve their claims processing efficiency 50% in one year. Um, and we're releasing much faster. We saw that acceleration I talked about earlier. So that's really product line management, grouping teams and grouping software around our customer and their mission. I want to continue down the path of, of this process piece because the other thing you brought up during our conversation was the move to low code, no code, and really trying to outsource a lot of the commodity efforts to vendors and then really have the VA folks have a focus on business value. But let me put a finer point on this because you said something that maybe people could understand maybe in a bad way. You said security, patching, 508, they're not value add. And, and I, I know what you're getting to here, but let's make sure we put a finer point on it so people don't think you don't think security is important because I, I know you do. I know VA does. You, what you're really saying here is what more, more precisely? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about security. That's a great point. So the fact that I add new security patches to a system, the customer doesn't notice that, right? It doesn't improve their outcome. 
but security is very important. And, and I'll use uh, Java applications, for instance, right? So I've got, we have a lot of applications written in Java and every single, uh, every time a new uh, security vulnerability is found, I have to have all of those teams update their code or ups, update their JDK. And that's a, a lot of work by a lot of teams and it takes away their time and effort on, on delivering business value. So instead with the low code, no code solution, our vendor patches the system once um, and, and I hold them accountable for making sure that, that that platform is updated regularly and all teams kind of take advantage of that. It's kind of like a the tide raises all ships. So I have a lot more assurance that our system is up to date on security patches. I don't have one team out there that's, that's fallen behind. So I feel like our systems are more secure in this way. And really with low code, no code, I think we're faster, safer, and cheaper. All really good things when you start talking about security, when you start talking about this idea of getting things out the door. One last piece of the low code, no code is, you, it's a, been a great accelerator and, and you're, you're talking about moving six times, you know, 18 month deliverables to, to 90 days. Again, I go back to the workforce side, the process side, how much of a change was it for the workforce, for the process to accept the low code, no code platforms? Because again, it's not something you were doing all those years you were doing, I don't even know what the opposite of, of low code, no code, high code, high lots code. of code, right? <laughs> I think it's important to understand our growth rate, right? And we're in, we're really in the age of software. All you have to do is look at your iPhone or your Android phone and the number of applications you have installed to know that the demand for automation and the demand for software is growing. And certainly that's just as true in VA. Uh, on average, we're growing, our software inventory is growing 16% a year. So we're adding new software all the time. Um, and certainly COVID, we saw kind of a tsunami of new software solutions come during uh, COVID. We have all those legacy software pieces still there, right? We have, uh, and, and today we have over 500, about 550 applications that are written in one of our traditional coding languages, COBOL, M, Java, Ruby on Rails, you name it, right? We've got a very heterogeneous development environment. Those, um, those languages aren't going away. Those, that code is, isn't going away. It will be modernized over time, but really our low code, no code solution is focused on those newer things that are coming in. And it, and it creates new opportunities for our staff as well. Um, if they felt pigeonholed in writing COBOL on a mainframe, right? Now they've got opportunities to do something that's a little bit more modern and forward-leaning. If you have people who are still writing COBOL on the mainframe, you could probably lend them to social security or CMS or maybe a ton of other agencies. Yeah. They're probably laughing because they have lots of job security. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Dan, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Dan McCune, the Acting Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Enterprise Program Management Office at the Veterans Affairs Department's Office of Information and Technology. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by GitLab on Federal News Network. Here's Paul Morris from the CDC on the Federal Executive Forum on Zero Trust Strategies, sponsored by Palo Alto Networks. What I really like here is the fact that we're going to do a lot of work here based on the executive order to really codify architecture and direction in cloud security, software development security, supply chain, and zero trust. To listen to the whole program from Treza Media Group, log on to federalnewsnetwork.com, search Federal Executive Forum. Zero Trust Security has rapidly evolved from a theory to a practice, and Palo Alto Networks is committed to helping the government establish its Zero Trust strategy. We offer protection, whether your agency is on-prem, in the cloud, or using a hybrid combination of both. And since Zero Trust is a long-term practice that offers optimal security when implemented correctly, it makes sense to work with a trusted partner. For more information on Palo Alto Networks' end-to-end -end security framework, go to paloaltonetworks.com slash usfederal. 
How can government leaders see constant change as an opportunity, not a threat? How can fostering a flux mindset help leaders be more affected and resilient in the face of relentless uncertainty? What strategies can leaders employ to do just this? Join Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with April Riney, author of Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change, on a special series of The Business of Government Hour, Leading Through Uncertain Times. Repurposing manpower through automation. The expert ebook provided by Ironbow Technologies in partnership with Dell Technologies is now available. Get insights on automation such as how Treasury and DLA are embracing AI, machine learning, why data matters, and how AI success means looking at the problem. Go to federalnewsnetwork.com today and search keyword Ironbow to download Repurposing Manpower through Automation, an expert ebook provided by Ironbow Technologies in partnership with Dell Technologies. Our new way of working with a cloud-first approach has unleashed the need for new technologies that can speed up processes, automate manual workflows, and share data across organizations. How can you empower your team with data, drive efficiencies, and increase performance? Ironbow Technologies, along with Dell, will help you discover how AI technologies support agency mission success. Discover more at learn.ironbow.com AI. That's learn.ironbow.com AI. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by GitLab on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dan McCune the Acting Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Enterprise Program Management Office at the Veterans Affairs Department's Office of Information and Technology. Before break, Dan, we got into low-code, no-code. It's good to hear you have some COBOL folks left on the staff that can understand how to do that. Uh, I haven't heard Ruby on Rails in quite a while either, so it's another one of those software languages that have uh, continued to keep agencies running in many ways. But I want to go down a path that's more, if you will, modern. One trend that I'm seeing across a lot of agencies, specifically in DOD, is this idea of a software factory. VA also has one, or you're developing one, as well as an agile center of excellence. Talk about what those two efforts are about and, and how they're helping you move faster toward this DevSecOps model. Maybe I'll talk about agile center of excellence first. That's a little bit more mature. We started that three years ago. And what I needed was a transformation office, right? An office that was going to help us set strategy, monitor the execution of that strategy, and then measure us with metrics. And that's what our Agile Center of Excellence has become. And unfortunately, I named it during our Agile transformation. I wish I could change the name now. But they're, they're also managing our transition to product line management and DevSecOps. So, um, you know, they're key and instrumental in building our dashboards. And I mentioned our, our DevOps dashboard earlier. Really, I've got one dashboard now that I can look at either at the product level, the product line level, or even at the portfolio level and get a real good indication of our complete DevOps health. And so that, that office is underway and growing in maturity and, and, and they're going to help us go to the next level. Our software factory is a little newer and we're just getting started with that. And it's really, I think, a next generation of what we're doing with development. In my last job, I led a development shop and, and we had hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of lines of code written in, in a bunch of different languages. And it's it really kept me awake at night thinking about the need to refresh that code, the amount of technical debt we were accruing every single day that code sat there. And that really was the genesis for our move to low code, no code. And we started to develop platforms. Uh, Software Factory is really the next generation of that. And I think the, the metaphor is a sound one. We think about a factory, certainly in terms of maybe an automobile factory. What is in that factory is people, skilled people, who are familiar with the tooling, the processes to deliver those automobiles. Um, you've got tools and you've got processes that are all optimized really on delivering one thing, an automobile. We want a software factor that does the same thing, right? It, it brings uh, skilled resources that know that particular technology platform very well inside and out because every low-code, no-code platform is a little different. Sometimes we tweak the processes to account for the, the, the benefits of that platform. And then certainly tooling too can be optimized. So we bring all those things together in this, in this conceptual thing called a, a software factory. 
And that really optimizes from a whole bunch of software languages to just a handful of platforms that we decide to build our solutions on. And, and they all live within this thing called a software factory that produces software applications. I enjoyed the automobile example. I think people get their head around it. We've all seen movies, TV, whatever about the, the, the plant. You won't have a, a piece of software moving down the assembly line per se, but you, you kind of do. Somebody is good at this part of the software development. Someone else is good at that part of it. Let me back up the, for the Agile COE for a second. So this is a governance, if you will, training piece. That That's really their goal here to make sure that the maybe 50,000 foot levels in place and the software factory then makes sure the 5,000 foot levels in place. That's a good way of looking at it. Yep. Yeah. And when you say you have these dashboards that you know where things are at, are these dashboards just for folks like you and OINT or do you share them up, up the chain to deputy secretaries and, and the secretary? Yeah, no, um, I don't think our secretary probably has the patience <laughs> to look at one of our dashboards. And, and this is an area too, where I, I think we have to acknowledge that we're in the early maturation of dashboards and, and really, I, I, this is part of DevOps as well. Uh, we've got a lot of our operational data and service now. We've got a lot of our agile tools that hold our development metrics. So we're using Power BI to really aggregate this data together in a way that makes sense. And so really right now, those dashboards are primarily driving IT. We're starting now to track and capture business metrics. And we can now measure, I mentioned, claims processing efficiency for the GI Bill. We can now start to capture some of those metrics. And as we do that more, I think the, the, the dashboards and metrics that we have become valuable to our customer as well. I was just going to ask that question as the dashboard starting to open down the path to drive decisions. We're seeing not just a problem, but maybe a usage or a uptick in use. Oh, we built this application. We thought 20 people would use it and we're seeing 100 people using it. Maybe we need to add more resources to the application, to add more features because people like it. Is that starting to also help you drive decisions that way? You're absolutely right. Um, I have a metric of the week that I share with my leadership team and kind of focus in on not only a metric, but a learning around the metric that could drive decision-making. And I'll, I'll give you one uh, recently, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, major incidences. So we look at all of our, all of our tickets um, and we prioritize them. And so priority ones and twos are major incidents. They usually mean stop everything and, and focus on this. We have a system that's down. So we looked at the number of major incidences across all of our products, thousands, uh, we have about a thousand products and found that uh, only a few of them, and we were looking at a quarter uh, for the last quarter, only a few of them had a major incident, but one had five and, and it kind of jumped off the page, right? We had a few at one and then we jumped right up to this one product that has five. And so that helped me drill in. And, and we also found that same, as we drilled in, we start to find other symptoms of a problem. This product hadn't released a software update in over a year. Um, so we, we started to drill in and find some, um, some challenges there and help the team um, you know, pivot and, and mature. And that's where I bring in the Agile Center of Excellence, right? Those mentoring, coaching, and training teams to kind of land like paratroopers and, and help, uh, help a team mature. It's that type of metrics that I think we may not pop up normally without having one, the data, which is important. We can talk about that all day, but as well as the dashboard itself to have you say, oh, that one's the problem this quarter and, and not having an update in five weeks or five months or whatever it's been is like, uh-oh, we better fix that. So I think that's something that a lot of agencies are really trying to get to. The other thing you talked about was the software factory. You said it's just getting started and, and it's really part of, of the low-code, no-code kind of growth. When you say just getting started, you have a couple people, a couple pilots going, or where are you at with that maturity level? I'll talk about uh, two of our key platforms. One is Pega and the other one is Salesforce. We have seen wide scale adoption. So we started these things in pilots and, in a way, and, and they've been phenomenally successful. Um, so we already have what we call as a platform team today focused on each of those, those technologies. Um, what we have is a, a center of excellence. So we have a, a team that deeply understands that technology and how to get the most out of it. 
Um, we have scrum teams and development teams that are configuring, we don't, we say configure instead of code, configuring new solutions. Software factory is really the next generation of maturity. So we don't have a software factory today. We are standing one up and I expect this fall and winter, we'll see the first, first generation of a software factory. I have something to look forward to uh, talking to you and your, your folks at OINT again later this fall. Dan, there's a lot more to touch base, but first we're going to take another uh, break and then we'll continue our conversation. I think we're going to get into automation, maybe even a little security discussion. But first, my guest today is Dan McCune, the Acting Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Enterprise Program Management Office at the Veterans Affairs Department's Office of Information and Technology. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by GitLab on Federal News Network. Get tipped off to the technology that powers the federal government. Federal News Network. Search Federal Tech Talk. The Nation's Gun Show returns at full bore. 100% open. Dulles Expo Center, Chantilly, Virginia. This weekend, 1,300 tables. Over two miles of guns, knives, and accessories. Gear supplies while you still can. Everything you need for the shooting sports and self-defense. Concealed carry classes. The Nation's Gun Show at Dulles Expo. Friday, 3 to 8. Saturday, 9 to 5. Sunday, 10 to 5. Coupons and more info at thenationsgunshow.com. That's thenationsgunshow.com. Data is more than bytes and bits. Data is the fuel that drives your business. If your business creates, innovates, builds, then you need your data to work harder for you. Quantum can help, not just to store and protect your data, but also to provide better ways to manage, enrich, and analyze that data, making it smarter, more valuable, in ways that were unimaginable just a few years ago. Data is changing. Quantum is changing with it. Learn more. Quantum.com. C3AI is solving previously unsolvable problems in mission-critical defense and intelligence challenges. Learn more at C3.ai. C3AI. This is Enterprise AI. Selling to the government made easier, thanks to the Coalition for Government Procurement. Federal News Network. Search off the shelf. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Do you know a federal employee facing a tragedy like their own or a family member's serious illness or death in the family? Is the tragedy also causing financial struggles? Feds helping feds charity FIA might be able to help. FIA offers no fee, no interest loans to feds experiencing a variety of hardships. Special thanks to Blue Cross Blue Shield and Care First Blue Cross Blue Shield for supporting FIA in expanding this program. Find eligibility requirements and other program details at fia.org emergency. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by GitLab on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dan McCune, the Acting Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Enterprise Program Management Office at the Veterans Affairs Department's Office of Information and Technology. Last segment, Dan, we talked a lot about no-code, low-code, the software factory, the Agile COE, Center of Excellence. Part of this discussion that we didn't get to is automation, and that's one of the big benefits that I've heard over the years about the software factories, really bringing in this idea of automation, bringing in this idea of making it easier to develop software. How's automation really making this software factory or hopefully we'll make it run more smoothly? Our world is moving to one of hyper automation and, and we're seeing new categories of software uh, and software tools introduced all the time. Certainly from a DevOps perspective, we're looking at automated CI CD pipelines, right? We wanna automatically integrate and deploy our software. We want to automatically do all of our security testing and so that when we put code into production, we know it's secure. And automation to me equals security, it also, or quality, it also equals speed. But we're starting to see, I think everything is code, right? Certainly infrastructure is code. Our ability to tear down environments and rebuild them has certainly seen an increase in the quality of our environments, particularly as you transition from testing to production, right? We wanna make sure that we don't have a defect related to one of our environment configurations. So infrastructure as code has become a very, a very big deal to us, especially as we move to the cloud and cloud certainly makes that easier. 
But I think too, automation is showing up with our customers as well. And I'll, I'll talk about robotic process engineering, right? RPA has become a powerful way for our customers to get some automation and, and not have to spend millions of dollars on a new software solution. It's something that's quick and automates their work in their, in their manual tasks. We're also seeing automation um, in our customer interaction. And I'll talk about uh, during COVID, we actually did this for a chatbot. So certainly you can imagine that as we, as the pandemic started, our veterans had a lot of questions about the virus and about their symptoms and where they could get care. And our call centers were really overrun, right? Exponential increase in call volumes. We couldn't come up with enough staff to answer the calls. So we introduced a chatbot uh, and a chatbot was able to address a lot of those questions. And, and I think we saw uh, a tremendous amount of automation around calls and reducing call volumes. And I think over 50% of our calls were, were able to be answered with that chatbot. So that's an example of kind of using that automation. What I find really interesting is I call democratization of software, right? We traditionally think of, of IT solutions coming from IT, and um, but our customers are getting more IT savvy all the time. And, and it's now uh, the job of IT to, to stop thinking about shadow IT and thinking about how we can partner with our customer to deliver IT solutions that they need. That's a really great point about the democratization of software something we hear time and again, both in the public and private sectors, when you talk about the next generation who grew up, again, you and I probably grew up with software, but not the software we're talking about today, where coding is so easy, much easier. And, and really it's because of the low code, no code platforms, almost anybody can be a coder. How good you are is a whole different discussion, but you can at least start the process. You brought up cloud as well, and, and let's just go down that path just briefly. The cloud infrastructure you mentioned earlier is really key to making this DevOps environment happen. It's also key to the automation piece. Where are you at in terms of using DevOps in the cloud versus DevOps on-prem? And what's kind of the longer term view for, for the cloud as it relates to DevOps? It was a, a few years ago that we got started in cloud and, and it, it seems like a long time ago, but we didn't know how to spell cloud about three years ago. So the first step, and I call it cloud generation one, was just getting in the cloud. So we, we, we now have clouds, government clouds, both in Amazon and Azure. And, and we have a lot of softwares, I think over 300 software solutions now in the cloud. And most of that was lift and shift, right? And, and you certainly get some benefit from moving to lift and shift. You've got the scalability and a lot of the tooling that comes with it, but we're really not optimized for cloud. And that's where generation two comes in. Containerization and really leveraging cloud features in the code and optimizing our code. So we're starting to see generation two cloud solutions now, uh, and I'm excited about the, the opportunities there. Dan, we cannot have a conversation about DevOps without th throwing that word sec in the middle, DevSecOps. Uh, I think uh, security is, is such a huge part of any software development. You mentioned this idea of the CI/CD pipelines automatically looking at security testing. I think that, that's a huge piece of it. The other side of this discussion, however, of course, is uh, supply chain and the risk that comes with it. So let's start maybe there with supply chain risk management a little bit. How are you bringing in that, those concepts to ensuring that your code, once it gets into production, is it going to keep VA data, VA people, VA systems safe? Traditionally, we focus on uh, our production code and, and looking for vulnerabilities in our code that allow uh, hostile entities to, to get access. Now, with, with the SolarWinds incident this last year, we're starting to think about our vulnerabilities differently. We're starting to think about our supply chain. And as we pivot to buy before build, we have to think more about the supply chain and the vendors that are giving us software versus the code that we're writing ourselves. So um, certainly the, the things we're doing with strategic sourcing and our contracts, um, our fed ramp process to get vendors approved to run on our network um, all come into play and our trust relationships with our vendors as well. We have really, really big vendors like Microsoft that we're going to have a high degree of trust in their code and the processes that they use. We'll have smaller vendors that, um, you know, that, that trust relationship will be a little bit more challenging to navigate. 
the supply chain discussion comes up almost every time you got to bring up cybersecurity you bring up software development is that something that just kind of started to to rise at va in the last year two three or is it even newer than that you know not just because of solar winds but because there's just been so much more attention being paid by the white house by omb by congress um, so certainly we've got a new executive order uh, on cybersecurity, right? So some of that has been forced on us. That doesn't mean it shouldn't be. It, it should. And, but FedRAMP is not new. Um, we do look at securing everything on our network. I think what, what is coming into play, though, is a, is a different focus and a nuance on what we're already doing. So we have to go back and look at our FedRAMP process. We have to look at our acquisition strategies. And, and, and build more uh, security around code that we don't own and code that we didn't write. Dan, we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guest. Dan McCune is the Acting Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Enterprise Program Management Office at the Veterans Affairs Department's Office of Information and Technology. Dan, you were great. Thanks so much for the time today. Thank you, Jason. It was a pleasure. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by GitLab on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Duo Security, now part of Cisco, is the leading secure access and multi-factor authentication provider. Duo comprises a key pillar of Cisco Secure's Zero Trust offering, the most comprehensive approach to securing access across IT applications and environments from any user, device, and location. Duo offers federal-tailored product additions delivering device visibility and continuous dynamic authentication with FedRAMP-authorized security controls at their core. Learn more at Duo.com. That's Duo.com. This week on Federal Insights, sponsored by CyberArk, hear Patrick Gold the Deputy Director of the Cyber Portfolio at the Defense Innovation Unit, talking about disrupting the kill chain. What we were looking to do was to take that one step further and try to figure out, can we not just detect and respond to that threat, but can we start to ratchet up the deception to start toying with an adversary? Can we deploy this around a weapon system for the purposes of protection and intelligence gathering? To hear the entire interview, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search CyberArk. As the global leader in privileged access management, a critical layer of IT security, CyberArk protects data, infrastructure, and assets across the enterprise, in the cloud, and throughout the DevOps pipeline. CyberArk delivers the industry's most complete solution, helping federal agencies meet today's challenging security and compliance requirements. And CyberArk is trusted by the world's leading organizations, including more than 50% of the Fortune 500, to protect against external attackers and malicious insiders. Visit CyberArk.com to learn more. That's C-Y-B-E-R-A-R-K.com. Tune in on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. for the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft. Learn from industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Innovation in Government examines a wide range of topics and evaluates their payoff. Cybersecurity, big data, mobility, cloud computing, and more. Innovation in Government, Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. on Federal News Network. Search Innovation in Government. From PR to paid programs, learn what marketing is working for government contractors. Federal News Network. Search Amtower Off-Center. WFED Washington. WTOP-FM HD2 Washington. W283DG Sterling. WTLP-FM HD2 Braddock Heights Frederick. Portions pre-recorded. Federal News Network.